Good morning, folks. It's good to see you. Um, uh, it struck me last night after watching uh, our first episode of Death Comes to Pemberley on the iPlayer that we were going backwards in time. Uh, we'd started with Downton Abbey and uh, we seem to be moving further and further from reality. I think we're putting off the whole back to work, back to, to real life kind of stuff and I'm, I'm sure we're not alone in that. It's a, a weird kind of a week, I think. Uh, we've put Christmas to bed and 2013's uh, still going but feels like it's, it's running out of steam 2014 hasn't yet started. Um, it's always a funny Sunday to preach on, I, I think. But one thing I, I do try to do uh, oftentimes is, is to take a look to the, the future, to try and see what might be ahead of us, what God uh, might be calling us to. And that's, that's what I want to try and do uh, for a moment this morning. Just one thing to flag up about that um, Every year, you, you turn the calendar over to a new year. This is a, a different year for us uh, here at Kirkpatrick Memorial. 2014 marks our centenary, um, and many of you maybe aren't very aware of that. Uh, we have been thinking about that a little bit in Kirk Session, thinking about um, what it means to have been here for 100 years and what it means to be looking into whatever future God has for us. So. Uh, that's also in the back of my mind uh, as I share with you for a few moments this morning. Uh, what, what should we be thinking of? Uh, I suppose good questions are, if, if a community like this has existed for 100 years, what was the point of all that? Um, what's the point of this community's existence into the future? What, what is Kirkpatrick Memorial for? That's a question that we've actually been grappling with in different ways uh, for, for most of this year. In a series before the summertime called Life Together, we thought a lot about our life as a church. And then in a, a series that's been running since uh, the, the autumn, we've been thinking about, through, particularly through studies in First Peter, about what it means to be what we called an everyday church. So we have been thinking a, a lot about this but I want to share with you this morning briefly from a passage that's really come to, to be very important to me. I first noticed it about 18 months ago. Uh, I was reading a, a book, a Christian book, that just drew my attention to this passage, and it, it hasn't left me since. Um, we preached a, a series in Jeremiah here last year in our evening services, but somehow or other I mucked up the scheduling and didn't get to preach Jeremiah 13. So uh, I'm going to take a few moments with it this morning. Jeremiah lived in a time when the church was in disarray. I use the word church on purpose. There, there already was a community of God's people. They weren't the church of Jesus Christ that we are, but, but they were God's people in the world called to live for him and to be faithful to him. And they were, they were really reaching an all-time low. These were the people, don't forget, that God had rescued from Egypt. These are the people he had brought into the promised land. But by this stage, the wheels were entirely falling off for them. Uh, they're between two exiles. The, the northern half of Israel has already been dragged off into exile years before, and the southern half just about 
to be dragged off into exile in Babylon. And in chapter 13 of Jeremiah, I think we get an idea from God's perspective of why he would allow this kind of thing to happen. God does a thing that he does a few times with Jeremiah. He gets him to act something out as a way of communicating with the people. And that's what he does here. It's like a wee drama that God gets Jeremiah to act out. And it's a way of communicating God's view of things. So you know those cummerbunds that men used to wear, I don't know if they still do, to, to formals, to, to dress with their dress suits? It's like a, a, a waistband. Well, that's what I'm imagining here with Jeremiah 13. God says to Jeremiah, buy one of those and put it on. And he does, does just that. And the belt looks good. And it makes Jeremiah look good. And then God's instructions to Jeremiah, which are already quite weird, start to get even weirder because he tells him to take it off and to go and bury it in a place called Perith, which happens to be beside a river. So he he does that. Jeremiah, he seems to just do whatever God asks him to do. And then God asks Jeremiah to go back months later to find the place where he'd buried this band, this waistband, and to dig it up. And and he does that. And guess what he finds? Well, he finds exactly what you'd expect to find if you buried a linen piece of fabric in in damp ground beside a river. He finds that it's covered in mildew and mold, that it's, it's stinking. It really is rotten. Once this band had made Jeremiah look so good, And now it's wrecked. It's fit for nothing. Not fit for purpose. It's a weird kind of a drama. And we're not sure what it all means until we get to verses 8 to 10. And then God explains what he's just had Jeremiah act out. He says, in the same way that this belt was ruined, I'm going to ruin Israel. The people of Jerusalem and of Judah They haven't listened to me. They've gone their own way. They've found other gods to be their king and they've worshipped them instead. And because of all of this, they've become useless. They're no more use to me than this linen belt with its mold and its mildew. They're entirely unfit for purpose. We have a whole load of great expressions in Ulster. But there's one that just springs to mind when I, I read this passage. There's, whenever we see somebody wearing something that looks really rare, we just say to them, I wouldn't be seen dead in that. That's what the Lord says here. He talks about his people. And he says, I, I wouldn't be seen dead in that. Your gross you're minging. Honestly, I I don't want to be associated with you in any way. I don't want my reputation in this world to be tied up with, with you and who you are. It's serious stuff here in Jeremiah 13. And immediately we're wondering, well, well, what's the remedy? If this is the case, what What could a church do who found themselves in a position like this? We might say these guys should pray more. Prayer is a good thing. 
most of us will admit that we don't pray as much as we'd want to or as much as we should. But there's something so fundamental here that even prayer isn't the answer. If you flick back with me a couple of chapters to chapter 11, just for a moment. Chapter 11. Sorry, we're on page 771 for Jeremiah 13 and back at a chapter or two. Chapter 11 of Jeremiah, verse 14. Here's what God says to Jeremiah about the people of Israel. And it's shocking. He says, do not pray for this people, nor offer any plea or petition for them, because I will not listen when they call to me. Do not pray for them. Wow. Don't really expect that. Not here or not at any other point in the Bible. That God would say, don't pray. Don't pray for these people, because if you do, I'm not listening. Why would God say that? Well, it's because the failure of these people is so fundamental that praying for them will be pointless. These people and their shared life together isn't fit for purpose. There's no sticking plaster for this. There's no gentle adjustment. Unless they turn around entirely and repent, then they're not fit for purpose. Don't pray for them because the prayer won't be heard. Folks, I wonder if you can imagine God saying that about any part of the church today. Can you? Well, I think I can. The reason I think I can easily imagine that is because there are parts of the church that I don't feel comfortable praying for. I don't feel comfortable praying for Christian communities whose primary identity is political. They're much more interested in keeping covenant with Ulster than in keeping covenant with Jesus Christ. I don't always feel comfortable praying for every part of what I see in in Presbyterianism in Ireland. Um, I I sense these days that there's a a growing number of people who who are looking back to some bygone era, the days when Presbyterianism in Ireland was great and wondering how we could only get back to those days. I'm not in a hurry to join that way of thinking, if I'm honest. When I look at... Presbyterianism in in the recent past and in the present. I sometimes wonder if it, in in a lot of cases, it isn't more about maintaining some sort of Ulster Scots identity. This is a way of being Protestant that's important to us. Submitting to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and learning to, to emulate Him and to become like Him in this world seems like a minority interest in some of our Presbyterian churches. It's for weirdos or keeners on the fringe. I can't help but wonder sometimes how faithful this denomination, which I've grown up in, has actually been. 
But it's not just the, the old churches and the old denominations that I feel uncomfortable praying for at times. Um, sometimes I don't feel entirely comfortable praying for everything I see in the newer churches either. As the, the amps get louder and the lights get brighter and the celebrity preachers and worship leaders are wheeled out, I, I can't help but wonder if it isn't all just a bit of a scramble to, to put on the best show in town. To make sure you're, you're mopping up as much of the crowd to, to your, your community as you can. I sometimes wonder with, with all of that going on, whether there's still room for God at the heart of it all. Or whether he's just quietly slipped out the back door. A moldy, useless piece of clothing a community that there's no point in even praying for because God won't listen. It's a pretty demoralizing picture when you read the passage only in that way. Well, there's something quite staggering in this passage, and this is the bit that God has imprinted on my heart. And I want to to share it with you this morning. It's the final verse of this passage that really caught my eye. Jeremiah 13, verse 11. The verse 10 verses tell us everything that's gone wrong, but the last verse tells us how God wanted it to be right. We get to see God's heart for his people, what his longing is for them, and he says this, For as a belt is bound round a man's waist... So I bound the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah to me to be my people for my renown and praise and glory. Do you get that? This is amazing. There are loads of parts of the Bible, and maybe you know some of them, where we're encouraged to clothe ourselves in Christ or to put on the, the Spirit. Almost always in the Bible, when it talks about somebody dressing metaphorically, it's us dressing ourselves in God, or, or in His Spirit, or in His righteousness. We're the ones who get dressed up, but not here. It's an incredible image, and you've got to understand this. God wants to wear he wants us to make him look good maybe that image of a a cummerbund doesn't quite do it for you Um, I was trying to think of other times when somebody put something on and I thought probably one of the the key images is, is of a world champion boxer when he puts on the world title belt and stands in the middle of the ring after he's won his victory. That belt tells the story. This is the champion. That belt shows his glory, shows who he is. And that's what God wants to do with us. He wants to to wear us so that people look at us and see how great he is. 
It's an amazing image. God wants our neighbors to look at us and to say, Flip, that's what God can do in a human being. He could do that in me. When I first came across this image, I'm going to tell you, I felt quite uncomfortable with it. I was thinking, no, that's not right. People shouldn't be attracted to God through God's people. People should be attracted to God for who God is. They should be attracted to God as they hear the gospel of Jesus Christ preached and as the Spirit convicts them of their sin. It's, it's not to be about what they see in his people. Well, listen, I've struggled with this for some time. I've weighed this up with other parts of Scripture. And the only conclusion I can come to is that this is God's heart. His people are intended to be attractive for him and to draw a watching world to him. I got an insight into how this works recently, which helped me to to understand this. I've mentioned a couple of times that my youngest sister got married in November time. Um, So Claire and I were at, at that wedding, obviously, and almost as soon as the summer holidays were over, uh, we were, well, particularly Claire was having to think, you know, what am I going to wear to this wedding? Um, so this is weird how this worked out. Totally by accident and not by design, I ended up being down the town with Claire on the day that she chose the dress she was going to wear to this wedding. Where we're down in town, went into quite a, a posh sort of a shop. I think we'd, what, 15 minutes Uh, between then and our parking meter ran out so we thought we'd try our luck Um, first 10 minutes no, 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 no and then we saw this dress Claire tried it on but I I just watched the saleswoman that day and she was genius I I felt my credit card getting warm (laughs) on my bum pocket But I knew this woman was genius. She was trying to sell a dress, but she didn't talk about the dress at all. Hardly at all. Just kept talking about Claire. Oh, that makes you so young. (laughs) That is so slimming on you. It looked like it was about a dress, but it wasn't. She made it all about Claire. Folks, that's what the church of Jesus Christ ought to be like. Something that God can wear that makes his beauty just radiate for all who stand nearby and who see. beginning to get the picture this is what the church is for that's the purpose of the church people are supposed to look at churches all around Belfast and at at this church and they're supposed to say to themselves that community is beautiful the God who stands behind it must be incredible
I want to close this morning by inviting you to run with that image in your mind for a few moments. That image of a church that catches people's eye so that their attention will one day come to rest on the beautiful Savior. I'm not going to tell you to do anything. Nothing in particular. Just want to encourage you to keep growing in what you're already doing. To become more and more that party dress, that world champion's belt. You're already doing it. When you decided a few years ago to try and re-energize a, a closed-down local traders group, you showed the business owners of Ballyhackamore that God is for them and that he is a God who invites his people to pray for the welfare of the city, that the community gets better where God's people are. When you decided to rebrand your carol service and offer it at a time when, when the local community could come, you showed the, the residents of Ballyhackamore what Emmanuel really means, that God has come to be with them. Whenever you took a Christmas party that used to be only for your own children, and when you opened it up to almost more children than you, could, than you felt able to, to celebrate Christmas with, you showed God's grace and God's welcome. Whenever some gave their time and the church spent some money to, to serve mulled punch and shortbread, the hospitality of, of God was demonstrated here in the community. Whenever you gave some of your precious time to go and meet people with a parish newsletter, to have a conversation with them. As you took that time to go from where you were to where they are, you showed them what it's like for Jesus Christ to come a long, long way to be with us. In these seemingly ordinary ways, you've been showing the beauty of God to a watching community. We've been starting to learn to do this. And God has been using that to draw people to himself. I get to see a little of this happening. And maybe you don't. So I thought I'd share it with you. There's that time in late November where I got to drop into the traders meeting. And I went quite apprehensive. I thought, here I am, the local minister going to a traders meeting They'll give me two minutes of their time and bundle me out the door so they can get on with what they're doing. I got the warmest welcome. I got incredible gratitude for the support that the church has given in the past and, and will be giving into the future. And I got a chance to share a little of our vision to see Ballyhackamore flourish because we're God's people and we're here. There's a feedback we got from a, a mum who brought her P1 daughter to our recent Christmas service. She told us that her, her daughter and her son had been sitting around the dinner table 
deciding that they were going to start going to this church because they'd received a welcome here and wanted to be a part of it. There's a lady in Clarawood who contacted us a few weeks ago asking if we could help her because she's a large family. And as she looked into December and looked at what it would take for her to provide for her family, she felt the resources just weren't there. That happened the day after she was visited with, by a discipleship group with a parish newsletter. That same group since then has been able to supply her with a Christmas hamper, uh, give her something a little bit more to help her approach the new year. Then there's the, the lady from the neighborhood who contacted us just before we broke up for Christmas. I love this. She was having her family around for Christmas and she didn't have enough chairs. So some of our chairs are in her house this Christmas. It's not the biggest thing in the world, but it's lovely. It's lovely to think that whenever we need something, when we're stuck, the church is starting to be the place where we go looking for that help. You see, it starts with a chair and maybe a hamper. And, and maybe one day joining some part of the community. But because we know what our purpose is, we know that it's always about welcoming and drawing people to Jesus Christ. Because all we're ever doing is dressing him. We're just making him look as beautiful as he really is. We've been here a hundred years. And there's been times throughout that hundred years when we've managed to show the beauty of Jesus and to speak about it well. In 2014 and into the future, we just simply want to learn to do that better. We want to show and tell more of the beauty of Jesus Christ. Maybe you'll join me and pray that God will help us to do that. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this very simple and very graphic image in your word of what, what we're to be doing, what our purpose is to be. Lord, you've shown us your heart. You would love, you'd love to be able to put us on like a beautiful dress, like a, a world champion boxer's belt. You'd love to be standing here in the, the middle of Ballyhackamore, but for your beauty to, to radiate out through us. Lord, we have done all sorts of other things with our lives. We've made our lives about us. We've made our lives about our, our own families, our careers, stuff that we're accumulating. Lord, we pray that you show us how hollow all of that is.
Show us that we'll only ever flourish when we take on our true identity, our full calling, and that is to live only to show the world the beauty of Jesus. Lord, that's a big enough calling for us for for this centenary year, for the next hundred years. We pray that you would help us by your spirit to embrace it and to enter into it. We pray it in Jesus' name.